At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. My favorite plant to grow in my yard is the fruit tree because you plant it once and you get fruit for decades. If you have ever been curious on the best ways to be successful in growing fruit trees, today is your lucky day. Why? Because my team and I have compiled our best interviews and videos in one place to assist you in growing your own toe-tingling peaches and awesome apples right out your front or back door. Plus, as an added bonus, we've included an in-depth guide to successfully growing fruit trees in your yard. To get access to this information, it's free by the way, just go to urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. That's urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Ocean Robbins of the Food Revolution Network to talk about changing our food future. At 15, Ocean was a co-founder of the Creating Our Future Environmental Speaking Tour, on which he and three other participants spoke in person to more than 30,000 students, presented for 2,000 people at the United Nations, and opened for the Jerry Garcia Band in San Francisco. How cool is that? In 1990, at the age of 16, Ocean founded YES!, an organization he directed for the next 20 years with the goal of connecting, inspiring, and mobilizing visionary young leaders worldwide. He has since spoken to hundreds of thousands of people, led hundreds of retreats, workshops, and jams for leaders in over 65 nations, written books, mentored and learned from changemakers, and been a creative partner and lead editor for several bestsellers. In 2012, Ocean founded the Food Revolution Network with his dad, John Robbins, which now has more than 32,000 members working for healthy, sustainable, humane, and delicious food. He currently serves as adjunct professor in the Peace Studies Department at Chapman University. Ocean has personally spoken and facilitated leadership gatherings in Jordan, Israel, Palestine, Singapore, Costa Rica, Russia, Finland, Canada, the Netherlands, India, Peru, and across the United States. All this, and he is an active, proud father of special need twins, a lover of life, a human being who is trying to live in a good way on the earth. Welcome to the show today, Ocean. Well, I'm thrilled to be with you, Greg. Thank you for being here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? 
Absolutely. Well, uh, I think my story goes back in some ways, a few generations. I'll start with my grandfather, uh-huh. uh, Irvin Robbins, who founded an ice cream company you may have heard of. It's called Baskin Robbins. Right. Wow. My, my dad, John, grew up with an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool in the backyard and oh my gosh. 31 flavors of ice cream in the freezer. Uh-huh. Uh, he was groomed from early childhood to one day join in running the family company. He ate a lot of ice cream. Sometimes he ate it for breakfast. Wow. Uh, he invented Jamocha Almond Fudge, I might add. Really? Um, yes, he did. <laughs> But when he was in his early 20s, um, my dad was offered the chance to join his father in running the family company, and uh, he said no. And he walked away from a path that was practically paved with gold and ice cream yeah. to, as we jokingly say in our family, follow his own uh, rocky road. <laughs> and he ended up moving with my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada where they built a one-room log cabin, grew most of their own food. and lived very simply. They wow. practiced yoga and meditation for several hours a day, and they named their kid Ocean. Of course, that's me. Yeah. So uh, I grew up kind of far away from a lot of the world's problems with clean air and clean water and really healthy food to eat, uh, and a lot of love in my family. I was monetarily poor, but I felt rich. Yeah. Because I, had, uh, I was rich in a lot of things that really matter the most. Yeah. Um, then when I was about 10 years old, our family moved to California, and my dad ended up uh, working on a book called Diet for a New America. It, it came out in 1987, uh-huh. and it inspired millions of people to look at their food choices as a chance to make a difference in the world. Um, the media had a lot of fun with the story. They called my dad the rebel without a cone. You know, here's this would-be <laughs> ice cream heir who becomes a healthy eating troubadour. Yeah. And I came of age uh, seeing my dad's impact, uh, proud of all that he'd, he'd accomplished, and seeing the difference it was making in so many lives. Our family received tens of thousands of letters from people who were thanking my dad for changing or in many cases saving their lives. Wow. And so I decided I wanted to reach out to my generation and wound up founding a nonprofit organization at the age of 16 called Yes, which uh, toured the United States and eventually worked in over 65 countries, uh, helping young people to stand up for healthy people on a healthy planet. And as I, as I traveled the world, I saw that everybody eats and that what we eat has this huge impact. I saw how you know, KFC and McDonald's and Baskin Robbins were spreading around the world, and with them, waistlines were expanding, yeah. hospital rooms were filling up, more and more people were getting sick. So eventually, after 20 years directing that nonprofit, working with individual change makers on a global level and, and helping them with leadership development, I wound up deciding to join with my dad directly in launching what we now call the Food Revolution Network. Right. And we are an education and advocacy organization that is standing up for healthy, sustainable, humane, and delicious food for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we are so grateful that we have the opportunity in our work to every day help people turn their health around, turn their lives around, and become a part of the solution. Wow. So tell me, what's the structure of the Food Revolution Network? How do you reach out to people? Well, we have an email newsletter that people subscribe to, and uh-huh. you know, we, so we publicize all kinds of projects and issues through that. We have a number of projects that we take on every year. Our biggest one is the Food Revolution Summit, where we interview 24 of the world's top food experts and broadcast those interviews online for free. We've reached more than 600,000 people in wow. our past Food Revolution Summits. Uh-huh. Uh, interviewing, you know, quite a range of luminaries from doctors like Dean Ornish and Mark Hyman and Joel Furman and Caldwell Esselstyn and Christian Northrup uh, to world-renowned leaders from um, Dr. Jane Goodall to 
um, Woody Harrelson to Paul McCartney. You know, we we, we have a range, um, but they're all people who are you know changing the world and helping mm-hmm. people live healthier lives. The Food Revolution Summit is a is a place where folks can come and really get the latest breaking news and insights on food and health. And my dad conducts all the interviews personally. And after you know 30 years as a leader in this movement, he knows the questions to ask to bring out the unique expertise of all of our speakers. And then we also offer online courses like our Plant Powered Thriving course and other kind of resources to help people kind of focus on the how side of healthy eating and how do you put it into practice. And we have mm-hmm. a blog where we publish hundreds of articles and breaking news and you know recipes and all that kind of thing. And uh, we also take on campaigns. So um, we're preparing for a campaign right now that's going to focus on uh, getting nutritional education into medical schools. Oh, you know, wow. In uh, medical schools right now, the average physician gets 17 hours of nutritional education in all of their years of medical training. Less than a quarter of our medical schools in the United States have a single required course in nutrition. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in that context, we think it's high time that food, which is the foundation of health, should be taught to our healthcare leaders, right? So we're launching a campaign around that, and our actual focus is on the uh, National Board of Medical Examiners, oh. which creates the exams that doctors have to pass right. if they want to be physicians and become licensed. And uh, right now, those exams have no nutritional, uh, whole foods nutritional content. Mm-hmm. So of course, schools which teach to the test aren't teaching this. So yeah. we think that getting the exams changed can change what the schools teach, can change what the doctors know, which will change how medicine is practiced. Yeah. That's our goal. It's one of many steps we want to take, but we think it's an important one. Yeah. So I want to step back and kind of look at the whole food platform, if we want to call it that. Uh, and sure. why, what is it about food? Why is it important? Oh, why is it important? Well, you know, everybody eats. Yeah. You know, and, and we all know at some level that you are what you eat, yeah. or perhaps you are what you digest, or, <laughs> right. you, or perhaps you are what you don't excrete. But uh, you know, in any case, yeah. uh, you know, food becomes us. It's very intimate. It's very personal, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also very political because mm. what you eat connects you with practices, with farm workers, with pesticides, mm-hmm. with topsoil and mineral content in the soil. You're impacted by acid rain. You're impacted even by climate change. The price of food, the quality of food is impacted by geopolitical events all over the planet. Yeah. But it's also going to become very personal, and it's, it could determine whether or not you get cancer. It, it could determine whether or not you get heart disease or diabetes or even how your body responds to weight gain potentials. Yeah. You know, we, we think a lot about DNA, which is incredibly important, but most people don't realize that, that your DNA can change or at least what parts of it express Mm -hmm. change, predominantly determined by diet and lifestyle factors. For example, look at cancer. Uh A lot of us think that some people get lucky and some don't based on their DNA, but 90% of cancer cases are caused not by genetic factors, but by some combination of diet, lifestyle, and environmental factors. Mm. And so food is absolutely fundamental. You know, food is medicine. And we could could, uh, prevent or reverse the vast majority of the chronic ailments that we face as a society today. The National Institute of Health Metrics conducted a study at the University of Washington. Researchers looked at the causes of disease and mm, death right. all over the world, and they looked at diet and lifestyle and other factors. They looked at more than 300 uh, causes of death. They looked at more than 90 different potential factors. They concluded, this is the most exhaustive report ever done on this topic, they concluded in their report, which they titled The Global Burden of Disease, that diet specifically 
caused 672,000 deaths in the United States last year. Now, that's more Americans that died in World Wars I, II, Vietnam, Korea, both Iraq wars combined. Yeah. But that was all in one year, only this time the enemy wasn't another country's bullets. It was our own knives and forks and what we're doing with them. Yeah. So uh, the implications of diet are absolutely massive. You know, when you look at it, when you look at the fact that we're spending $20 trillion a year on disease treatment in the United States, you know, call it healthcare, but... (laughs) <laughs> let's, let's face it, we're not caring for health, we're treating the symptoms of disease, or perhaps managing them yeah. in many cases. And real health care starts with not getting sick in the first place. And that comes fundamentally from what you put in your body, and right. how you feel with your body. Yeah. And when you feel with the right stuff, then you can say goodbye to heart disease and cancer and diabetes and obesity and, and strokes in many cases. Mm-hmm. And you can say yes to more energy and more mental clarity and more vibrancy and a longer, healthier life. In many cases, yeah. In fact, in fact, perhaps most cases. Most cases, yeah. I say yes to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, let's talk about the food then. I, and I, I, I'm a professor at Arizona State University uh, on occasion, and one of the papers that I always give my students when I teach a class out there is what is real food. They have to define it. So, I'm going to ask you that question. What's real food? <laughs> All right. So, so real food is we basically need to eat more food that comes from plants and less food that was manufactured in plants. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's good. Right. Real food is the stuff that your great grandparents would have recognized. Mm. Um, it's the stuff that if you see it on a label, you actually know what it is rather than a chemical who, that you can't pronounce. Yeah. Right. We, we have what Michael Pollan calls an epidemic of food like products. Yeah that are masquerading as food. We have cherry flavoring that tastes more like cherries than cherries do to many of us because we've been kind of duped by these food-like products and the chemicals that are designed to trick us. And what they do is they cause us to eat uh, too much. They cause us to get confused. Our bodies don't know how to process all these chemicals and they can really mess with our body's ability to Mm self-regulate. You know, your body has a natural proclivity to know when it's full, but when you're jacking it up with processed chemicals, your body doesn't get the signal anymore. For example, fiber plays a critical part in telling your stomach that it's full, but when your body is not getting enough fiber because you're eating oh. you know, white flour and white sugar and bottled oils and animal products as the basis of your calories, and you're not getting enough fiber, uh, which is not found in any of those things, then you know you, your body doesn't know when it's full. Right. And uh, less than 5% of the U.S. population gets the recommended amount of fiber. I think it's the number one nutrient that the most people are deficient in. And it all comes back to, again, the processed and high animal product diet that most of us are consuming. So when you consume a more plant-strong diet that's based around real, whole, natural foods, Mm -hmm. then you can reverse a great many ailments. Yeah. And that's what we're finding. It's not just my opinion. This is the conclusions of thousands upon thousands of medical studies that have been conducted and published right. in peer-reviewed scientific journals, which all essentially point in the same direction. I mean, there are, of course, points of disagreement, and some scientists disagree about the mechanisms behind it. But, you know, the fact is that uh, we have studies telling us that, you know, consuming three-button mushrooms a day or the equivalent can reduce breast cancer risk by 64%. We have we have studies telling us that when women consume green tea daily along with those mushrooms, uh-huh. their breast cancer risk drops by 90%. Wow. I mean, 90%. This is, this is humongous, right? We, right. Have, we have other studies telling us that when men consume cooked tomatoes two or three times a week on average, 
the risk of prostate cancer drops by 49%, right? So, uh, and this is just from individual foods. When you combine them together, you get a, you get a powerhouse of, of interacting synergies mm -hmm. that enables you to put a lot of diseases in the dustbin of history. And I think that's incredibly exciting and incredibly empowering. That's why, to me, the food revolution is, yes, it's about recognizing how bad things have gotten and challenging the status quo, but it's also about standing for what's possible and recognizing yeah. that we can create a so such a better life and future. I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, simply by putting something different in our mouths. Yes. Along the way a moment ago, you said something about processed foods want to have us eat more. Now, there's chemicals that, that these companies put in these foods to have us want to eat more, is there not? Yeah, yeah, sure there are. I mean, the most widely recognized one is monosodium glutinate, glutamate, or MSG, mm -hmm. which uh, which actually makes you salivate. I mean, literally, it makes oh. you salivate. So sometimes people need to drink a lot when they eat MSG and they get thirsty, which is why a lot of restaurants tie it in with selling Coca-Cola and Pepsi and mm. other soft drinks because they've got a really nice marketing niche there where they provide MSG and people get thirsty. But, you know, MSG makes you makes you thirsty. It also makes you salivate. And uh, therefore, it makes your food kind of taste better because you're salivating more. Yeah. But it's chemical-induced. And, you know, it's, it's found to have – it's linked to a lot of potential health problems. Yeah. So MSG is widely used in restaurants. You know, sometimes people actually add it to their food in their homes, but rarely. You can always ask a restaurant if they use MSG. It's especially used in Asian restaurants and Chinese restaurants. Uh, just because they say they don't doesn't guarantee you they don't, however, because there's right. no regulation around it. But yeah. you can always ask. Um, and then there are chemicals like sugar that you can easily become addicted to. We find that it's actually more addictive than cocaine, you know, in animal right. studies. Yeah. Um, rats will push the sugar lever over the cocaine lever or the heroin lever because they are they want their fix and they will they will choose it over, um, you know, they'll, they'll keep eating to the point of getting obese because they like the feeling that it gives in their brain because it gives a rush, right? right. And so sugar, sugar is a dangerous substance. Um, obviously in moderation, sugars, can have a part in a whole foods healthy diet. I have no problem with eating whole fruit, but you've got to chew it and it comes with fiber and other yeah. nutrients that help to regulate its absorption into your body. Uh, when you consume straight processed sugar, it's going, you're main lighting drugs basically. Yeah. And, uh, and you're creating the pathways for addiction and obesity, which uh, you know sugar is profoundly linked to obesity in study after study. Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't realize how much they're drinking of this stuff. The average American drinks 600 calories a day. Yeah. And the vast majority of that is coming in the form of sugars. Sugar so if we just, we just moved from soft drinks to water, uh, or for, even from fruit juice to water, that shift alone could potentially have or even you know cut by three quarters the obesity epidemic in this country. Yeah. Plus, we don't know what kind of chemicals they've added to these soft drinks. Yes, yes. Well, and in some cases, we, we do know, don't we? There, uh, there's a lot of chemicals in there. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, there, there are a lot of scientists who are being paid very, very well to make us addicted to foods. Yeah. I mean, they're literally, their job is to develop the perfect mouthfeel, the perfect experience uh, from a culinary perspective so that we literally can't have just one. Right. So that once you start, you can't stop. And we're paying the price for that with our waistlines, with our disease rates, as we lie in our hospital beds, as we die. And I don't know how the people behind these companies sleep at night, Yeah. to be honest with you. 
because uh, they, they are behind policies and practices that are sickening and killing millions of people. I'm sure they're all, each one of them has families and values and things they love. And I'm sure they have ways of justifying it. And I'm sure they know exactly what they're doing because they're not stupid. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it's us as consumers, it's up to us to demonstrate to the corporate food industry that there's real money to be made from doing the right thing. Yeah. So that they don't have to feel like they're choosing between their company's bottom line and the interests of their shareholders and their ethics and values. Yeah. So we as consumers can help shift this course and move the corporate food industry to the right side of history. So how do we do that? <laughs> well, the awesome thing about the food revolution is you don't have to wait for McDonald's or Coca-Cola or the United States federal government uh -huh. to get on board to live your own food revolution, to take advantage of the, the power you have to make choices about how you consume food, how you prepare food, how you purchase food, how you grow food so that you can you know, bring the food revolution home <laughs> and so you can live it in your own life. So how do we do that? Obviously it starts with what we grow and where we shop and what we buy and how we prepare our food and how we eat it, right? Yeah. When you bring those things into alignment with your values, your whole entire world changes for the better. So you are on a plant-based diet. What does that really mean? All right. Well, I, I, I love food. Mm -hmm. I love healthy, real, whole, natural food, fair trade food, organic food, food that helps my cells to sing and my body to come alive, helps me to feel like I'm in integrity with the world I want, mm -hmm. food that's growing in ways that are respectful to animals and the planet. And when I look at the data, it's pretty clear to me that the vast majority of people would be healthier if we move in certain directions. And I think there's an overwhelming body of, of evidence to this effect. And those directions are eating less pesticides, less processed junk, less added sugar, less bottled oils, less animal products, particularly those that come from factory farms, mm -hmm. less processed meats, and more real, whole, natural, plant-based, local, fair trade, and organic foods. Mm -hmm. When we move in that direction, we, see, we, we reap incredible benefits. So let me talk for a moment about the plant-based part of that. Okay. Okay, so, you know, around the world, there are these communities that Dan Buettner has studied, which he calls Blue Zones. He's, he's, he studied this for National Geographic, and his, his research has become the subject of his New York Times bestseller, The Blue Zones. He's been uh, written cover stories for National Geographic magazine and The New York Times magazine. And... His research basically found that there are certain places in the world where people live the longest and healthiest lives, uh -huh. like head and shoulders beyond anybody else on the planet. And these aren't people who are on some new fad diet or experimenting with some radical new thing. This is people who've been living and eating this way for centuries. And what we find is that they all have a number of things in common. Their diets are all based around real, whole, natural foods, and they all eat very little animal products. So... It, it, it would stand to reason, based on that analysis, based on thousands of medical studies, that eating a predominantly plant-based diet is the optimal way to go if you want to saturate your body with the phytonutrients and the antioxidants and the flavonoids that come from plants, if you want to get the fiber that's only available from plant sources, mm -hmm. if you want to therefore help to fight cancer and heart disease and diabetes and obesity. And that's what we're seeing. So, you know, I say plant-based or plant-strong or plant-powered. I don't say vegan or vegetarian for the most part. And right. the re my reason for that is because I'm more interested in moving in a direction. 
you know, I don't care that much. I, I don't think from a health standpoint it matters that much whether you're 95% plant-based or 100%. Mm. To some people it might. If you're actually allergic to something, right. then of course it matters a great deal. You should have zero of something you're allergic to. Right. Right. But otherwise, from a macronutrient perspective, it's not hugely consequential. What matters is the bulk of what you do and the bulk of what you eat. Now, some people find that having a bright line or a sharp boundary helps them to stay with it. Mm -hmm. Give an inch and they take a mile. They feel like they can't afford, you know, you can't give an alcoholic one drink a week. Right. You know, for some people, that's no problem. Have a drink a week. For other people, they've got to go cold turkey, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And some people find that they're too addicted to animal products or processed foods to be able to have a little bit now and then. They have to go 100%. And mm -hmm. I completely support that. From an environmental and ethical perspective, I don't think there's any real case for consuming significant amounts of animal products. Mm -hmm. And kind of the more you go, the better in terms of not obviously having an animal have to lose its life, even if it even if it was raised humanely. Right. And from an environmental standpoint, there's a tremendous cost to animal agriculture because let's face it, it's generally pretty resource inefficient yes. to cycle biomass through livestock instead of consuming it directly unless those livestock are integrated into a holistic e ecosystem management system, right? Right. So there are ways that livestock can, for example, graze on fields and their poop helps fertilize the soil and chickens can be used in a healthy ecosystem where they're pecking, in the, pecking and adding uh, aeration to the soil and their poop is fertilizing the soil and they're eating some bugs that you want to get rid of in order to grow some awesome food, uh -huh. right? So that can all oh, work yeah. out very, very nicely. But conventional animal agriculture is where we're putting these animals in cages right. and we're feeding them food that is growing elsewhere and we're losing most of the calories. It takes you know five to maybe nine pounds of calories in to get one pound one of out. animal calorie out yeah. so we're wasting the rest and we're creating an epicenter of pollution from all of their fecal material that's ending up contaminating our waterways and these giant and, and creating these huge pollution lagoons so this is a system that I think is morally bankrupt mm -hmm. and there's no way that you could justify it as part of uh, ecological way of living my point ultimately though is that that from a health perspective you have to find what works for you right yeah. and what within your own ecosystem, your own values, your own sense of ethics and integrity, your own health history, your own um, bio-individuality, your own neurology, you find what makes sense. Um, there are certain nutrients in animal products that some people find beneficial, like omega-3 fatty acids that are found mostly in wild fish, right? Right, Or, or maybe uh, certain amino acids. But uh, you can get all of that from plant-based sources in most cases. And so ultimately, it's about finding what makes sense. But the, the clear direction towards saturating your body with lots and lots of phytonutrients and fiber mm. and whole foods and the nutrients that come with them is clear. And you get that best with a diet that has little or no animal products in it. And it just makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just makes sense. Wow. Thank yeah. you so much for that. One of the things I, I've in, in looking at your bio that I read, one of the things that that it's fascinating to me is the tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people that you've touched over the past um, 50 years with the work you're doing. And so first of all, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, and the, But my question for you is you've created this great change. How do we, as me being Greg Peterson and, um, you know, Susie Q out there, how do we create change like that? What if, what tips do you have for us to go out and change the world? <laughs> right. 
Well, first of all, uh, I think there are more than seven billion parts to play in the healing of our world for yeah. more than seven billion people on the planet. So whatever you've been through, whatever traumas and struggles you've endured, whatever gifts and blessings you've received, it's all part of you now. Yeah. And life, I think, is about taking what's been done to us or what's been given to us and using it for the best that we can. Right. Yeah. And I think that in, in a world as troubled as ours is today, we can't afford the luxury of thinking that our lives exist in isolation, that we can just take care of number one, so to speak, and forget about the rest of the world because we're all interconnected. Yeah. And what happens in the world around us affects us. And to, uh, to not have some sense of integrity relative to the world around you and your own contribution is to cut off some part of your own basic human nature, yeah. your, your own basic humanity. Because I think it's part of human nature that we care about each other, yeah. that, that we care about the world around us. And so we have a, we have a I think, a moral responsibility and, a, uh, and also it's almost a necessity for our own personal well-being to feel like somehow, some way, we are contributing to uh, positive benefit in the world around us. So that said, uh, how do you make a difference? Well, first of all, I say look at look at you know the the uh, issues in the world that speak to your heart, mm. that that concern you, that move you. Like, what would motivate you to get out of bed in the morning? Yeah. Say, oh, I want to I want to make a difference on that. You know, mm. is it poverty? Is it is it kids going hungry? Is it educational systems? Is it is it food and the way our food is growing or how it's produced? Is it is it farm workers who are, you know, being poisoned with the pesticides that they spray on the crops, which are now creating a life expectancy of 49 years for the average farm worker in the US? Wow. Is it treatment of animals who yeah. are living their entire lives in abject misery? Is it, is it antibiotics being used in factory farms and the way that, that that's rendering the viability of future antibiotics potentially uh, threatened? Is, is it climate change? You know, What are the issues that speak to you, that worry you, that disturb you, that galvanize you? And whatever it is, you know, one of the first things is to look at you know, how can you engage? How can yeah. you contribute? So I look at, I think the sweet spot is you look at what does the world need or what are the issues you feel the world calling for from you is number one. Number two is uh, what are your gifts? What are you good at? Mm. You know, what are you talented at? And number three is what do you love to do, right? Yeah. What would you do in a heartbeat if you only could, right? And right. these may not always be things you're good at. <laughs> it's, it's awfully nice when we get alignment there, but right. some of us love singing and no one else loves listening to us, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right? But that doesn't mean we shouldn't sing, right? right? So I, any one of those things is meaningful. Yeah. But if you can get two of them synced up or ideally even all three of them synced up, then your life has a potency and a vibrancy that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Wow. So I look at how we can create any kind of alignment there between what the world needs, what we love, and what we're good at. Yeah. And you know that's ultimately, it's a dream come true if you can make a living doing that. Some people can. But even if you do it on your off time or volunteer time, you'll still find that it gives your life a potency and a vibrancy and a joy that's much deeper. Yeah. So, so that, that's one thing we can do. And then strategically, you know, when it comes to food, I say, you know, change what you buy mm. so that it's in alignment with what you value. Mm -hmm. If you can grow some food, go for it. But then also be an influence on the people you love, right? See if you can spread the word because you care about people, right? You want them to be healthy. You want them to be thriving and alive. And uh, you are a change agent. So let your, look at yourself as a brand ambassador for the food revolution or for the causes you believe in and care about. Yeah. And see how you can help people galvanize and connect and engage. Wow. And you know, the, top, the top five tips I have for mobilizing and influencing others are, number one is respect them. You know, love them where they're at because 
Dr. King said you have no moral authority with those who can feel your underlying contempt. Mm. So we have to, if you want to be a change agent, you have to start from a foundation of respect for other human beings. Number yeah. two is speak your truth, because if you don't speak it, they will not hear it. Oh, so yeah. do look, look for ways to speak up and organize. And then and number three is listen, ask questions, engage, learn what matters to people. When you feel resonant with or can understand where they're coming from, you have a lot more influence in that relationship. Oh, yeah. You know, you know how to land with them and what they care about. And when it comes to growing food, which, of course, is, is your focus, Greg, like, you know, some people are motivated because they want food security. They think the apocalypse is coming and they yeah. want to be able to have their own food in their backyard. And other people could care less about that, but they want organic food, right? Now, the people yep. want to save money and they've got a little space in the land and they want to plant some seeds and grow food because they like the idea of saving a buck, you know? Yeah. yeah. Other people, uh, it's just because they, like, want to feel connected to the earth and they find it spiritually fulfilling. And so there's, there's all kinds of motivations that could that could move somebody. And uh, so finding out what people care about is a great way to engage them. And then principle number four is, you know, love people. Just, mm. you know, when people feel that you love them, they're naturally more open to your ideas. I think love's kind of like the sunshine that mm -hmm. uh, seeds want to sprout. Yeah. Even if it's underground, it's a lot more likely to come up when that sun is shining to warm the soil. Yeah. So love helps evoke people's own natural native curiosity and ability to connect. And, and then my fifth principle is walk your talk. You know, if you're not living it, you're going to have a hard time convincing others. Yeah. But I can't tell you how many people, you know, I'm talking to them and they're like, how do you have so much energy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you go and go and go all day long. And I'm like, well, it doesn't hurt that I eat a healthy diet, you know? Yeah, and, yeah exactly. And I can talk and they're like, oh, what do you eat? And you talk about it, right? It's a great entry point. Yeah. So uh, when you're walking, you talk, when people can say, wow, how did you lose all that weight? You know, I think that uh, it's, it's, just, it's just awesome, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I am so glad that I asked you that question. Cool. That was epic. I, I I am always looking for epic in the podcast, and yeah, that qualified. Thank you for that. Sure. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that ferry, and what you might have learned from it. All right. Well, you know, I didn't start out being necessarily a great communicator when it came to the causes I believe in. Um, I was raised, you know, on a little island in the middle of the woods, and I didn't have a lot of social life in my earliest years. When I was eight, I was going to school. I decided that the time had come for me to speak up about the food choices that I believed in. At eight. And I was, I was a vegetarian, and I decided that killing animals was morally reprehensible and that I had a duty to inform my classmates of that fact. <laughs> so I would go through the lunchtime, you know, the lunch yard, and I would, uh, you know, probe into the contents of my friends and peers' Cabbage Patch Kids and Star Wars lunchboxes, uh -huh. and, you know, and ask them if they realized that meat was murder, tell them that uh, I, I didn't want my body to be a graveyard, tell them that I didn't eat my friends and animals were my friends and so were they, so that was good news for them and for animals. <laughs> uh, and you know, it got to the point where I, I no one wanted to sit with me at lunch. One day I got into a argument with my best friend Damien and you know, I, I was, he was eating a roast beef sandwich and I asked him if he believed in the death penalty for murderers. And uh, the conversation kind of went downhill from there. <laughs> and I ended with his roast beef sandwich in the garbage and me in the principal's office. Mm. And I had this very kind of disturbing moment taking stock of the fact that I was advocating for compassion. Mm. And yet I was getting in fights with my best friend mm. over the contents of his lunchbox. Yeah. And... I realized then that if I wanted to be an agent of change, <laughs> I had to be an agent of compassion too yeah. and respect. 
And quite frankly, I'm still learning that. I think many of us are. Yeah. How do you stand for something and with passion and boldness and clarity uh, without alienating people yeah. who may stand for something different? Yeah. Um, but that is that is the art of being a change agent, I think. Yeah. What do you consider your biggest success? Oh, my goodness. I think that, you know, ultimately, it's all the stories I hear from people mm. who have participated in our summits or our courses or get our emails. They've changed their diet. They've changed their lives. And they're, you know, they've had cancer go away. They've had diabetes go away. They've lost 80 pounds. Mm -hmm. You know, we participated in a program recently uh, with Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson. It was an online class mm -hmm. on food addiction and food freedom. And in eight weeks, 2,000 participants lost 30,000 pounds. And, you know, when I wow. hear these stories and I think about the lives that are changed, the heart attacks that won't happen, you know, the, the families that won't be torn apart by premature death and mm -hmm. disease, and I hear about people who have their lives back, you know, that's, that's, that's my greatest success, yeah. you know. I'll be honest with you, I could talk about the metrics of all the people we reach in our summits, but it comes down to individual lives. Yeah. Every one of them is somebody. And if we help that somebody, then that's enough. And we're helping a whole lot of somebodies. Yeah. And <laughs> it just lights me up. I can tell. That moved me. That moved me. So what drives you? <laughs> what drives me? Well, I mean, I am outraged by the status quo around food. Mm. I am outraged by the fact that we have a food system that has become in many ways toxic. And, and by the fact that it is low-income people and communities of color that are being the most devastated yeah. by the norms today. Yeah. You know, the farm workers who are poisoning their families as they use pesticides on the job. The, the, you know, the, the people in inner-city communities who have, to, who have to travel 20 miles to get to broccoli. But they have, you know, Snickers at every corner store and alcohol at every corner store, you know, and potato chips at every corner store. You know, it, it outrages me that we have a medical community that acts like food doesn't matter. Yeah. That, that my aunt just went through chemotherapy and was told by her oncologist not a word about nutrition, mm -hmm. despite the fact that 90% of cases of cancer are caused by diet, lifestyle, and environmental factors. Yeah. He didn't mention any of that while he poisoned her and she almost died in the chemo process with a poison that may have saved her life. And I'm grateful that she could go through that. But my goodness, it is insane yeah. that nutrition is being ignored by the medical community for the most part. Yeah. And so this outrages me, but it also fills me with hope and passion mm. and knowing how much better things could be with a change. Because as bad as things are, that's how much better they can get. And so what drives me is knowing what's possible and feeling the gap between what's normal and what's possible and not only possible, but tangibly accessible to just about everybody. Yeah. And so there's like this enormous gap right there, but we can bridge it. And in the process, we can change lives. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. So is there one book that has been influential for you in this process? Well, the most influential book of my life was Diet for New America, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. my dad wrote uh, 30 years ago. Yeah. And it's inspired millions of people to change their diets and look at look at their food choices as a chance to take a stand for a better world. And then actually he wrote another book called The Food Revolution that came out about 15 years ago that's 
kind of an update on the topics. And even though it's 15 years back, I have to say a lot of the facts are still very resonant with today. So those have been two of the greatest influencers in my life. And I just love that I have a dad that I'm so proud of. And it's mm. been an inspiration to me over so many years and, and to so many people. Yeah. Uh, and then I get to work with him now. I, people ask if I'm walking in his shadow and I say, no, I'm, I'm walking in his light, you know, because oh, nice. I feel so lit up yeah. and illumined by uh, the work he's done and, and the work that I get to do today in relationship and partnership with him. Wow. Cool. Thank you. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Who you are matters. What you do matters. It always matters how you think. It matters how you act. It matters how you eat. And you don't have to, you don't have to change the world all at once. You don't have to change your whole life around all at once. It doesn't, that my goal isn't to help you to be perfect or to sign a purity pact. Mm -hmm. My goal is to help you create the habits day in and day out that become as, as natural as brushing your teeth in the morning. Yeah. That a firm life that set you on the path so that the path of least resistance is one that, that makes you more vibrant and more alive and more whole. And my advice is wherever you are, take a look at where you are and take a look at where you want to be and see if there's a step you can take and then another step you can take to bridge that gap and get some positive momentum because mm. every step gets easier once you get going Yeah, and never lose track of where you want to get to. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Ocean. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Absolutely. My privilege, Greg. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and find out more? Go to foodrevolution.org. Again, that's foodrevolution.org. Mm -hmm. And you can join our email list and sign up to get updates. And you can see our blog and all the articles we're posting and yeah. all the resources we're sharing. We'd love to have you on board. You are part of the food revolution. Yeah. Every time you choose real food over processed junk, every time you plant a seed, every time you participate in the transformation of our food systems, um, you're a food revolutionary. Yeah. So you're part of us. And if you want to join the organization as well, again, check us out at foodrevolution.org. And I, I get those emails and I love them. And I highly recommend that everybody go there and sign up, foodrevolution.org. You can also find the show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash ocean. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. My favorite plant to grow in my yard is the fruit tree because you plant it once and you get fruit for decades. If you have ever been curious on the best ways to be successful in growing fruit trees, today is your lucky day. Why? Because my team and I have compiled our best interviews and videos in one place to assist you in growing your own toe-tingling peaches and awesome apples right out your front or back door. Plus, as an added bonus, we've included an in-depth guide to successfully growing fruit trees in your yard. To get access to this information, it's free, by the way. Just go to urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. That's urbanorchard.org or text FRUIT to 33444. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. 
Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.